Welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast series where we discuss the technological and cultural impact that the COVID-19 pandemic and accompanying lockdown has had on our daily lives and society. You can subscribe to our podcast on all good podcast channels, be it Apple, Google, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And please check out our website, amdocs.com forward slash The Great Indoors, where we host many accompanying assets to support our discussions. My name is Matt Roberts, and today we are at episode eight, and we will be talking about culture, more specifically, youth culture, known as Generation Z. Gen Z, for short, is the demographic cohort succeeding millennials and preceding Generation Alpha. Popular media uses the mid to late 1990s as the starting birth years and the early 2010s as the ending birth years. Most members of Gen Z are the children of Gen X, Generation X, and sometimes even lucky millennials. But most members of Gen Z have used digital technology since a young age and are comfortable with the internet and social media. This generation has been characterized in the media as probably the most anxious and depressed. And some commentators attribute this these effects to the generation having grown up in a time of digital social media interaction, smartphones, and even this pandemic. Now, Franklin Roosevelt once said, we cannot always build a future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. But what happens when that building process stops? And those building blocks are torn down. The implications that the pandemic has had on this demographic will determine the future. And that's why it's so important. I'd like to welcome our guest for today. His name is Clint Rungay. Clint is the founder and managing director of Arch Rival, which is a youth culture agency that reinvents how brands win the hearts and minds of young adults. Clint and his team light the fires for clients such as Red Bull, Adidas, Hollister, and Spotify by going against the grain of traditional marketing to build brand love, loyalty, and sales with teens to 20-somethings, which is the, the Generation Z sort of demographic cohort. So while he's the kind of guy who likes Diet Mountain Dew and card tricks, his saving grace is that he does great creative. He's won as many awards as he's had all-nighters, leading arch-rival to an ad-age Agency of the Year, and Inc. 1000 Company. Most frightening of all, Rungay taught creative strategy at the University of Nebraska for 15 years. And lastly, and we can test this at the end, if you like, Clint, he considers himself a professional rock, paper, scissors athlete and welcomes your challenge at archrival.com. So, Clint, welcome to the great indoors. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. And where are you today, Clint? Where are you enjoying the great indoors today? Yeah, today I am in Lincoln, Nebraska, which may sound like an odd place to be after everything you just read, but uh, (laughs) Lincoln, Nebraska is actually a pretty exciting, uh, interesting hidden gem, and I love being here. Nice. Excellent. How's the weather there today? I'm British. Uh, I have to talk about the weather. This is the thing. Well, I think we're on our last week of hot summer, and uh, we're about ready to enter the beginning of fall, which around here is beautiful. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. So thanks for joining, Clint. I think, you know, as this podcast has progressed over the weeks, we, we've touched on some really interesting topics. And I think today we're going to talk about culture, or specifically youth culture, and, you know, that demographic segment known as Gen Z. 
So just just to refresh our listeners, you know, we have in this series looked at you know how people's usage of technology has changed, particularly amongst adults. We've looked at the effect of education and we had some very young guests to talk about that. We talked about mental health and you know other societal issues that this pandemic has impacted. But Clint, from your perspective, when the pandemic first hit, what was the impact on that Gen Z youth group? Well, if you think about the impact they had on us, right, just everyone in general, it was it was pretty startling, right? I mean, the world seemed to come to a halt and in many ways, other generations uh, were, were a little more prepared for it. And what I mean by that is that we have, uh, you know, if I think about myself as a Gen Xer or even um, older millennials and certainly older generations as, as boomers, um, you know, their, their social structures are in place. They know who their friends are. Uh, their careers are, they know where their career is headed or, um, you know, for the most part, they, they understand what their skills and opportunities lie. And they know, um, they kind of know the routine. They know how to survive. They know how to get around. So when the world stops, although it's impacted all of us, and we've all had to scramble and deal with things, we had the social networks in place that we could handle it. For Gen Z, you think about the oldest of them, Mm -hmm. which have been, let's just call them graduating college, um, all the way through um, high school and, and, uh, you know, in in their teen years. That's like a time of life where you're really forming your identity. You're trying to figure out who you are. And so when the world stops and they're not yeah. they're no longer able to figure out their identity, yeah. search for what they're good at, find the new opportunities that would lead to them understanding themselves better. They are in the mode of, of uh, trying, you know, going to university or getting an internship and all these opportunities to meet new people, uh, start my career, maybe even get into university. Ah, oh, you know, the impact to them has been um, almost insurmountable. And when we first talked about this with our clients, uh, we talked about this as their dreams were literally disrupted. And um, I remember talking to one young adult. He was uh, just graduating university and he had an internship lined up at Urban Outfitters. And he had this big vision of himself in the fashion world and you know all the ambitions and dreams in the world. And then suddenly that internship, which was the key step for him to do that, gone. Right. They canceled it. And that has been repeated over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard yeah. those stories as well. Well, yeah, I think the big story that I saw last week, I think being British originally, was in in the United Kingdom. They do, um, you know, the the exams they do that get them into university uh, at the age of 18 are known as A-levels. Now, because they couldn't sit their A-levels, an algorithm was produced that gave them a forecast of what those A-levels were. And it turned out to be an absolute scandal an absolute disaster was there any other outcome to that i mean that is i mean for gen z and 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 gen x or parents no way are they going to stand for that i saw that same thing it's crazy yeah i mean it was absolutely awful and like you said this is i remember when i was you know that age and you know wanting to get my grades to go to university that's a pivotal moment in your life a pivotal moment and um yeah and this happened in the uk and it destroyed that a lot of people are still absolutely distraught. So the effects of this, would you, you know, would you say that this is the most impacted demographic by this crisis based on that? I think so. I, I think so. Because if you go to the next generation below them, which is Gen Alpha, they, they're in the family unit. Mm-hmm. So their structures are in place. Yeah. Uh, another way I've been thinking about this. And, and by the way, I just want to comment on, on that, that story. It, it, it's crazy because 
everything that Gen Z desires and wants is that they are in control of their destiny yeah. and that they have all the opportunity in front of them to, to get what they've earned. And then something like that, where a algorithm steps in front of that and says, no, 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 we're going to predetermine or what is based on your previous experience, determine what your outcome would have been, um, even if it was exactly accurate. And let's just give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, that goes against the moral DNA of, of Generation Z. So there's no way that that was ever going to stand. If you just understood Gen Z, yeah. that is not going to land. And then you'd add the Gen X or parents into the mix who are going to be like, who are all about screw the system, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. have that against the man sort of thing. Yeah. Like there's no way they're going to stand for that either. Um, but um, oh, I even forgot where we were going with that. Where was the question? Where'd you leave me off at? I said, is that the, yeah, the most impacted demographic by this crisis? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think absolutely because of all those of all the big moments that happened, and you know it, that's that's been yeah. forever true. Your teen moments, your first years of of getting into adulthood, yeah, which might be look like university, it might be your career. Those are you know that's the groundwork for they're almost for the rest of your life. Yeah, and you know that as an adult looking back, but in that moment, I mean, you're absolutely lost. And you got me nostalgic now. You got me reminiscing back to that age where. <laughs> I was 18. I, I did my A-levels and then I moved. I left home to go to university. I moved pretty much all the way down to London in, in, in the UK. It was my first time leaving home. And there was that feeling of independence, proving yourself, but also friendship as well. You, you build your strongest friendships at that age, right? And I, I saw a study from Oxford University that was on the BBC yesterday. And it said, as a result of the pandemic, People are, are, are polarizing their friends. They're, they're losing their friends that were like marginal friends, you know. So your friendship groups are shrinking down. And I imagine for this segment, that that's, I mean, this is massive, right? On on what it what it means to people. So we may assume that Gen Z is overly connected and has all these relationships, but you know, we've always known there's different tiers to them. And in this moment, there is when we talk to young adults and we do quite a few studies, they would tell you, even though they're the most connected and by appearances have all their friends, they're lonely. And a, a lot of that has to do with, and they would even tell you they've lost friends, Yeah. Um, partly because of the pandemic, which has been a, has turned into a divisive, um, you know, mask debate, so to speak, you either wear masks or you don't. And, um, and, and they've had some friends where they've just parted different ways. And then you add in the social justice fires that have uh, percolated during this time. And be between all of that, yeah, they would tell you that they're that they've lost a lot of friends and in many ways are feeling the effects of loneliness. And that's a danger on top of a generation that was already suffering from mental health um, issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we, we talked then as well about, you know, all through this podcast series, we've tried to really focus on the positives of technology. And we started off with the, ne that, the negativity that that algorithm could cause this particular demographic. But what positive role do you think has technology played for them during, you know, since March to today? Well, it's there's certainly been a lifeline. Uh, I will say that. And there is a lot of negativity out there. And even amongst their forms of, of communication and on social media networks and the various platforms, there is a lot of negativity out there. Um, they refer to it as the doom scroll, right? Where it's just like one negative thing after another in the feed, and that adds up. That said, I will tell you that this generation's pretty adept to finding the good things too. So for people who are frustrated with that and 
you turn on, you know, your television and your streaming and you get bad news, you look at your social media, there's people fighting. Uh, they have found, they have found good news within that. And uh, that comes from various influencers, uh, various channels, uh, celebrities starting their own thing. Um, but I would say there are, there is this wave of positivity that this generation has tapped into. And that's absolutely because of tech. And it's, it, it's, um, I'm going a bit off, uh, off, well, maybe I'm not going off topic here, but one of the other things that, that we've always said is that the, the, the seismic effects of, of the lockdown and pandemic, we compare it. I mean, the last time there was something this of this magnitude was probably World War Two. Right. Really, when when you look at women coming into the workplace like they did during that time, when you look at Gen Z, if, if they existed as they are today, were the ones that t- typically went away to war. Right. This affected um, that age group. This this has parallels. And what do you think the long term effects are? On, on the, the Gen Z as a result? I mean, and this thing, we don't even know. I mean, this thing could last for another 12 months for all we know, but what are you thinking? What, 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 are, you, what are you thinking right now could happen? Yeah, and, and to be fair, it could be one after another, right? Now now will we live in fear of every um, new virus that comes along that maybe have always percolated, but we've never been aware of it the way that now we have media to alert us to it. Um, so who knows when the when the this particular pandemic ends or even just hysteria around health health lasts. Um, I also compare it to 9-11, um, which although it was an American you know, event, it was a global um, you know, reaction. And in a lot of ways, the way that we've adapted security minded to everything now, it's like you're going to a concert, of course, there's security. Of course, you're going to a new building, of course, there's security. At first, that was a very disruptive system, okay? And but now it's just like, of course, you got to have security. I think in the future, we're just going to have, of course, you're going to have health measures in place as well. Of course, people are going to have different screening uh, procedures to enable to do X, Y, Z. And in many ways, we'll look back and be like, how did we ever do it without that? You know, I think that's what will happen from this. For this age group in particular, um, this might be a defining thing for them. I, in fact, this generation starts with 9-11. If you were five or six years old when 9-11 happened, you'd become part of Generation Z. And um this might be kind of interesting midpoint for their lives in some ways that this now is also taking the cursor and where this ends up. Um, I think the, it's going to set them back quite a bit in their career. Um, Stanford university did a pretty deep study on the impact of when you, when you graduate into a job, bad market, you're taking a lower pair job. You're not taking the job that you probably would otherwise, um, or even in your industry. And so it sets you back about 10 years. So, you know, financially and even just like passions and ambitions wise. Uh, we will see a ton of new startups though, instead of it. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, something to come from that. And this generation was already evolving to be great leaders, just it's in their DNA, this sort of um, self-starter attitude. I think that we're going to get even better leaders than we would have uh, because they have learned in, at an early age how to endure something like this, which is both polarizing, it is scary, um, and it is challenging in all the ways, and they're going to come out on top of this and have some real life skills at early age. They're probably going to enter into into politics um, faster than other generations because they'll have this know how and ambition, and probably a case study on how to do it, how to overcome the, the mountains. Um, so actually, I'm you know I'm really looking forward to. I think there'll be some negative effects. I mentioned that the the mental health one. I think there's going to be a ton of positive things that come from it too. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And when we go back to 
this was an interesting one that came up in an early earlier podcast um, where Anthony Gutenlecki, our, 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 our CTO, he said, you know, what amazes me, he says, my, my mother is using online banking now because she has to use online banking, right? There's no other, there's no other choice. She, you know, so we were seeing this democratization of digital, right? And we're seeing this race to digital. So from your research with Gen Z, how is, how are they, what are they doing digitally different, more or less of, given this pandemic that you can see? Well, they were certainly set up for this, right? I mean, when we talk about the adaptations that we've all had to made, make, we're really talking about we're reverting back to where companies are making technology for, which is generally going to be youth culture. So, um, yeah. which is kind of our sweet spot of business futures. So in a lot of ways, they were set up technologically for this. Um, I would say they have a lot of frustrations though with it as well. Um, you know, you just mentioned, uh, you know, someone else now has to use online banking. And I would say there's a lot of systems though that, that um, were not ready for this moment, uh, particularly in education, where we talk to them and they, they talk a lot about just imagine you're a boomer professor who's always taught in the class, suddenly now has to teach the same lecture on Zoom yeah. Um, they're just not prepared for it. The material's not designed that way. They're not wired that way. They're uncomfortable. Uh, everything's thrown. And so the, so the, the lessons aren't as good. The education has value. And they would say, actually, I, I don't think I want to learn from, you know, this professor, this university or this manner anymore. So, um, you know, I think there's been some, some pullback in, in some categories where businesses were not ready for it. Yeah. It's interesting when we talk about businesses as well, when the, the lockdown first came in, and, and this is on our, our website, there was this video on YouTube, you might have seen it, where it looked at all the TV commercials that were released by brands following the, the lockdown and you know the world stopping. And they were all the same. Oh, they yeah, all said the same things, right? You did see this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They all said the same things. They had the same imagery. It was messages about togetherness, reassurance. We have a long-standing heritage this company it was like there was some sort of algorithm just banging out these tv mm -hmm. ads and everything looked the same so now what is something that brands should do now moving forward do you think with with regards to the messages with regards what they're saying particularly to gen z okay what are they receptive to all right it's been i mean it's been a wild couple months and at the beginning of this i would say the the reason although those sounded a lot alike it has a lot to do with cancel culture, uh, which is if we say the wrong thing, if we do the wrong thing in this moment, and we were seeing plenty of examples of this where consumers yeah. would just say, we're done with you. You're not treating people the right way. Uh, you're not acting in accordance to what we believe, how the world should act. And so we're canceling you, which has its own conversation we can get to if it's even effective. But this, this generation, for brands in particular, if you were to ask them, how, I, have, I want to change the world, I want to impact the world, how do you do that? Do you do it through government? If you look in the last 20 years, I mean, all you're going to see when they've been raised, has government actually changed culture for them? Not in the way it did for other generations. Who's actually moved the needle? Google, Amazon, right? Uber, you know, Airbnb, mm -hmm. YouTube. You know, these are the, like, it's brands, it's businesses that have changed culture. Apple revolutionized their lives. So when they want to make an impact, they now look at brands to be the avenue in which they do that. 
So that's why you get that cancel culture. If you're not acting in accordance, in accordance to how we want to change the world, then we're going to react to you in a negative way. So brands have to listen to that. The, the issue is, and we work with a lot, a lot of clients, a lot of brands, uh, brand clients, that they got into business to make money. I mean, that's why we started any of this stuff, right? It's, it's, it's about business. Yeah. And those businesses got very good at, at making money. But now they're asked to not just lead in terms of, of your output being money. You are, asked, you are also now, as a brand, being asked to be a moral authority. And so you must produce ethics along with your goods and services. And many businesses are just not wired that way to no fault of their own. They just this, That wasn't the original structure. And so they're quickly trying to adapt. Um, uh, and, and then now you add in systemic racism conversations that's you know yeah, going across yeah. the globe as well. And that's just another point where they're like, are we ready for this? No. And where a lot of the, the emphasis goes as, as a reaction to it is to go to their marketing and say, okay, create an image, create a TV spot like you saw that says that we're sensitive, that we're thinking about the future. And I would tell you for your brands listening that what Gen Z really wants you to do is to make that part of your DNA, which requires a really deep dive change to the, a fundamental change to the business. Some businesses won't be able to do it because those roots are too deep and um, they're, they are ripe for disruption because of that. And other businesses will be able to adapt yeah. um, because of the leadership and because of the structures and opportunities they see in the market. Yeah, and it was almost when it all happened, you know, from a, you know, a brand perspective. And um, it was almost like, well, you can't try and sell anything right now. Now's not the time to sell anything, mm-hmm. right? We just need to tell people we're here and we're there for you. Let's let's not try and sell anything. So do you have any examples of, uh, not brands that have done well out of this pandemic, because that doesn't sound <laughs> right as well. We know that, there's a, you know, I did really well out of the lockdown. Did you? Excellent. Yeah. No, not that kind of thing, but... You know, we, we, we see the brands or even the businesses that have suffered the most, namely travel and tourism have, have, have really been smashed. What would be, if, if you had to just call out a brand and you, maybe you don't have to, to mention them per se, but w- which brand has handled this correctly from a business perspective, would you say? Yeah, I think there's a number that have done this well. Um, someone who always seems to have their pulse on culture and reacts the, the right way uh, where culture even ends up, but maybe at the time it gets a lot of pushback and almost feels controversial is Nike. Uh, yeah. Nike has done a fantastic job of saying, of coming out with the message first that then seems to be where everyone coalesces over time. Yeah, and, and this is their first time. I think yeah. because there's something wired in the way they view culture and look at it that they're ahead of the curve in that way. And so when a pandemic hits, when a social justice fire hits, when a new topic takes over our um, daily water cooler conversations, they are prepared and understand themselves so well, they know how to talk about it in that moment. Where other businesses are less sure of their brand and how their brand would respond to any crisis. And so they're having to figure that out now in the middle of a fire. Yeah, yeah. So I look at Nike, uh, another, comp- another brand that's adapted really well, and I'm sorry, it's another sports analogy, but the NBA has done pretty well. Yeah. Um, the National Basketball Association here in the U.S. They, they've done a pretty great job of turning the corner and trying to lead out of it. Of course, there's some stumbling, some stumbling along the way, but in a lot of ways, people are looking at them and saying, is it working? And if it does, a lot of people are going to follow suit, um, not just in sports, but in business. Um, and I mean that by listening to their employees. I mean that by leading through the pandemic and, um, and also finding a way to endure 
what could have been a total loss of income, all businesses are facing that, of, of finding a way to make it happen and seeing if the will of the people uh, will follow. No, that's, that's really interesting with the NBA. And you can see me, I'm wearing a Raptors hat now. Oh, I didn't yeah, notice. Yeah, there you go. There okay. you go. That, that's a, I think that was a hang-up from our last sports conversation with, with, with. <laughs> and I've, I know, I have to admit, you know, I think the NBA have embraced a lot of the the social unrest issues spectacularly well. They obviously embraced the bubble concept, you know, to keep everybody safe. I know they're all down in Florida. Um, when you look at the NBA, uh, the um, the baseball. It's kind of all over the place, and there's all sorts of things happening. So I, I, I totally, mm-hmm. I totally get that from a, a, you know, from a brand positioning perspective. So what do you think has changed forever? You know, say in twelve months' time, this is hypothetical, but we like hypothetical. We're twelve months away, twelve months down the line. They mm-hmm. found a vaccine. Seventy percent of people have been vaccinated, and you know, we're moving forward with our lives. What what effect will this have? on on gen z how they position their brands you know moving forward from 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 where we were seven months ago well to your point all all the expectations that we knew where culture would eventually end up uh, at least in terms of digital um plays we fast forward you know in in six months time we've done five to ten years worth of work so that i i feel good about that and in that way i would say that i think the world is equal parts the future is virtual and the future is human. So by virtual, I think we all understand that. There's gonna be a lot more virtual play. There's gonna be sensitivity to getting together. You know, the, the concerts have been happening in Fortnite and other platforms have been incredible. They've worked, I mean, over 10 million viewers. You can't get, you know, if you get 100,000 people to a live concert, you're doing pretty well. So it, things have worked. But I would also say that what will endure is humanity. And what I mean by that is that when we talk to our young adults, and you know, we probably all feel this to some degree. And one of the things I was even really surprised about was how much they missed people. They missed being with their friends. They miss going to school. They miss going to the playing football. They miss uh, going to the concerts, shopping uh, you know, at their favorite retailers. They may miss being with people. So I think there is a danger for brands to swing too virtual and forget that what this is really about, even in the virtual world, is about being together. humanity right and if you also take that term and think about it's how we talk about our people it's how we talk to our consumers you know that's it's being thoughtful it's being friendly it's being courteous it's it's all those things that you would want in a best friend i think if we get too virtual and too digital we're going to lose some of that i think it is possible to be very virtual and very digital and be human uh but i think there's a danger there and i think those two things are going to persist and last now whether businesses and brands embrace it or not to be to be determined no and it takes me i, I mentioned that um bbc article that that referenced this research and um it it, it there was a picture in it and maybe we'll post this on the website um afterwards but it goes back to our sort of you know the, for primates life depends on being part of a stable group right that together mm. and there's an image here of um I'll show it up, but it's a load of like uh, orangutans on a cliff hugging each other. But, but you know, I think that's what it is. Our, our primeval instincts are to be part together in a group, physically connected. You know, sometimes you need a hug. Sometimes you need to see your friends. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think you're right. There's a danger we could swing to virtual. And, you know, we need to come back to that, you know, that, that, that 
that, that physical life that we led before. And it makes me think about the travel industry, you know, who, who have been totally impacted by mm. what, flights are down by, you know, 90% of where they were. Air Canada just posted mm. horrendous losses. And I think a lot of businesses are thinking, well, you know, we're doing, a, we don't need to get on a plane anymore, right? Well, that's fine. We don't need to get, yeah. on, we don't need to fly people around the world. But I mean, and yet, you, and yet, you and I know that business is better if we're sitting in the same room. Exactly. Exactly. That was, that was, well, yeah, that's exactly the point <laughs> yeah, I was going to that. make. That, that interaction, <laughs> that human connection makes business better. And I think yeah. you may be saving a few dollars now when you, not flying, you're doing everything virtually, but ultimately we have to go back to, to, to some level of connection mentally, right? Mentally it's, it's uh... mm-hmm. now th- there's one other point I wanted to, to, to lead on as well. And it's something that we've seen in, in pretty much every podcast is that not only is there the digital divide, but there's what this, um, that the whole pandemic has done is shine a light, a microscopic, you know, um, Zoom, if you will, on the inequalities in society, right? The people that have been hit hardest are the lower income groups, um, unquestionably. If you look at education, maybe they didn't have access to the the laptops and Chromebooks and the internet connections to be able to educate themselves. They can't keep the connections together on Zoom because they don't have that hardware, even down to medical insurance. And and they're the ones that have been disproportionately impacted mentally as well with the mental health issues. I mean, you know, from a cultural perspective, how do you think that reflects back into Gen Z? Is it you definitely seeing, you know, in your research and analysis, that income equality, that the hardest things are hitting those lower income groups much more substantially, right? hundred percent. Yeah, you're right on. Um, you know, I think it's easy for us in brands and businesses, even in this podcast to focus on sort of the haves, uh, which are the people who are, you know, maybe our consumers who are spending money in our businesses. So it's easy for us to focus our attention there. But a lot of times when I talk about importance of equity with this generation, the, the biggest one even beyond money is, and it's a factor of money, but it's the tech gap. And those that have the ability to continue to learn and be educated and connected and make those relationships that are important to their opportunities, they win. Yeah. Okay. And those that do not have those connections or ability to uh, stay educated, learn and move forward in life, they are literally left behind. So this is a terrible thing. I I don't know that we understand the full impact of this, but I read a study of where if you, it was, it was looking at semester by semester, if kids didn't have, if you're in the third grade, which by the way is your, is the age in which is the most important for you because you go from learning to read for the words, you go to learn to read, you read to learn versus learning to read. And if you don't make that change, you're out, the, the future of your life is almost trackable. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a different line trajectory. But the study looked at say, well, if, if you don't have school for a semester, how far has that put you behind your counterparts? You know, if, if they would have been, um, if you would have continued education and by one semester, it's like, eh, you're behind like about, a, about three months or so. It's, you know, not, not a big deal, but you start getting into a year, two semesters worth. Um, it starts like doubling. It's like two or three, two and a half years behind. And then if you miss, and then if this continues, you miss like a year and a half or two years, or it's not the same quality of education, the, it just gets bigger and bigger. And 
that's a scary thing that a lot of people are talking about. I'm sure they are in the education circles, but we're not talking about it in the brands and business circles. Yeah. Um, that has an impact on our future employees, on, on our future consumers. Yeah. I mean, think of the money that's going to have to go into re-resourcing, you know, um, this, this the second half of this generation. I don't know. I, it may, it's probably one thing that makes me a little nervous. And maybe it's because I got kids and I, I think about that stuff a little bit. Uh, but that's a big mystery. I um my children are around that my children are grade four, grade five, grade one. Big years. Right. It's a pivotal a pivotal, pivotal, yeah, a big years. Do you think brands have I wouldn't say um an obligation, because I I think we said it in a in a in a podcast, you know, government policy perhaps has to look at this and look at that, like you said, not just income equality, but that tech inequality amongst you know d- different groups. Could brands play a part in that? Yes, I th- I think, and you see some starts of that already. Um, yeah. Education is like I, I've been talking to universities and like you know Big Ten, SE. I've been talking to all these universities, and I tell them you are so ripe for disruption. It's incredible, and, and this moment may have just triggered it, which is that you for so long you've controlled everything, and now uh, you're no longer in control. And what's going to happen is that people are going to look at, well, do I want to waste all this time taking these classes that I may or may not need when right now I need to have action? And and what you're going to see is brand stuff in the space. Remember, it's Apple, Amazon, Google have changed the world. So they're going to look to the brands and say, well, what can you teach me? Uh, I think Google's yeah. starting their own university. And so if you want to learn how to develop from the best people in the world, you go to Google. Of course you would. You do that in a heartbeat. And I think you're going to see more and more of these bigger brands saying, well, the, the university systems were, weren't training our employees anyway well enough. We were having to do most of the heavy lifting. Now in this moment, when people are worried about being on large campuses, we can create our own systems and structures of education. I think people, I think it's very attractive for young adults who are looking um, for that leg up. Cool. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So look, we'll, we'll, I'm, we're going to um, uh, come to an end soon, but I just wanted to finish, Clint, with your sort of closing thoughts and, and you know, it, it, what has surprised you the most? What's the one thing that, that, that you've picked up during this pandemic that's impacted what you do with the brands that you work? What's the big rock that, that, that's fallen down um, from your perspective? Well, there's two things. The first one is back to, is the humanity issue, where where, where if you act, your brand is no longer your marketing campaign and your identity and your logo. Your brand is how you treat people. It's it's your it's it's how you treat your consumers. Like that's the brand. It's what it's all the little decisions. It's what your CEO says. Like all of those things matter far more than your advertising campaign. That's number one. Uh, number two, and brands that embrace that and understand that will win in this moment. Number two is that. In when the pandemic hit, all our lives we, we use the terms right like is ripped apart from the seam. My life was ripped apart from the seams, and what we mean by that is that all the structure, my routines were broken. So I used to drive to work and I would go get coffee and you know I, I, I could work out even at my you know my business. I had, everything was was set up for me. I knew when to drop my kids off, and then suddenly like all of that stuff stopped and we didn't have those routines anymore. What's happening now, months later, is we're repack we're re we're repackaging our lives up. And now it's happening in, in new ways. So I've learned to adapt. And now I know where I'm, I'm going to order my coffee online. It's going to show up here. I got a subscription for this food item from the restaurant I really love. And here's how our new education is going to work in our household. We've, we've uh, repackaged our life back up. Brands that are active now 
get to be part of building the new structures of these, being part of these new routines. That mm-hmm. is huge. That is new habits are being formed when <laughs> it's like, you should be this so active right now to be part of these new habits and routines. Um, I, we encourage our brands to, to get involved now and not wait for the new routines and habits to be completely formed and then feel like you should jump into the game. The opportunities now. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I, you know, I'm probably being a bit humorous here, but I was, I was joking about my new routine, right? Cause I, I haven't commuted since March. <laughs> I would, I would drive to the office. It would take me an hour with Toronto traffic um, and I was I was actually self-analyzing my new routine, right? So this is my new this is now I you know I get up at the same time because I have young children, right? but it used to be I get up, shower, quit breakfast in the car, you know, work, do da 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 da. But now obviously that that early routine has completely changed, right? I haven't. This is going to be probably be too much information. I haven't worn trousers <laughs> since March. Since March, <laughs> I haven't had to put a pair. I'm, of course, I'm putting shorts on I'm, I'm i'm not walking around the house naked that would be really weird but I, it's a good thing this is an audio podcast and not a video one no it absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> for, for all yeah for everyone and uh, you know it, it's that it's that kind of thing it's i don't get my coffee from tim hortons i do it here right i mm-hmm. we invested in an espresso machine it's great there you go i come downstairs i i start work earlier because I can huh. not because I want to, I can and it's it's advantageous but there's there's such a change to 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 my own when I analyze it my personal routine you're absolutely right this is the time brands should be looking at that and thinking well how do we capitalize how do we really you know get in there and and cement ourselves into that new routine it's uh maybe that's an exercise we should we should put on the website hmm. everyone can document their new routine hopefully it involves starting with getting dressed anyway <laughs> <laughs> getting dressed number one <laughs> number one you you have to now get dressed and if, if all this thing I, I don't know how i'm gonna put on a i'll have to do it when the winter comes here of course put wear proper trousers so that might be quite tricky when we get so look clint i want to thank you for joining the great indoors day i think it's been a fascinating conversation i really appreciate it thank you i enjoyed it just as much yeah it's been great and um we'll um We'll speak to you again very soon. I want to thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. And if you want to know more about Clint's research and analysis on this subject, please visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors, where you can download his almanac, The Unknowable Now. It's a great read, really. Check it out. And remember, subscribe to our podcast on all the usual great podcast channels. And we'll see you next time for another episode of The Great Indoors. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.